Hello and welcome to this podcast direct from the Chief Investment Office at Deutsche Bank's International Private Bank, which takes a long-term look at investment challenges. And today we're tackling climate change's less talked about but no less important cousin, biodiversity. We'll be looking at how the changing climate is causing a crisis in the loss of biodiversity and how that in turn threatens the most fundamental structures of our economic systems. We often talk about ecological surprise as something that never shows up in your models or your expectations, but it's things like a virus emerging and causing a global pandemic. It's things like a disease wiping out an entire fishery. And we'll investigate what investors can do to protect their wealth and maybe even help the planet a little at the same time. We have to be critical about the risk. And this is something what we always evaluate when we make investments. And on the other side, we, we of course, always asking ourselves, oh, what is the next innovation driver? What are innovative ideas, innovative solutions? Can I participate? So that's a pretty big topic to get us going. Fortunately, I have some pretty big brains with me to tackle it. Kristen Marhaver is a marine biologist specialising in coral ecology, reproduction and conservation. She runs the Marhaver Lab on the Caribbean island of Curaçao. She's part of a team doing genuinely pioneering work on the regeneration of coral and is much in demand as a speaker at the likes of TED and the World Economic Forum on the topics of preservation and biodiversity. Kristen, uh, welcome to this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to bring this topic to your listeners. Well, we're very, very honoured to have you with us. And our other guest is Marcus Muller, who is the global head of the Chief Investment Office at the International Private Bank at Deutsche Bank. He's also a passionate believer in the need to properly manage our planet in the interests of long-term economic security. Marcus, welcome to you too. Thank you very much, Guy, and really a pleasure being with you both um, on this podcast. Really excited. Thank you. So, uh, well, thank you, as I say, for, for your time. Let's start. Krista, can I start ask you a, a, what might be a bit of a, a, a stupid question, perhaps, but what do we mean by biodiversity or loss of biodiversity? Yeah, it's important to define our terms when we're talking about something so big and so potentially abstract as biodiversity. Basically, what we mean by that word is everything alive in a time and space that you define. So we can talk about the biodiversity of the Amazon rainforest, all the frogs, butterflies, trees, mushrooms, everything top to bottom, all the way down to the microbes in the soil. Or we can talk about the biodiversity of a coral reef, which is the system that I study, the fish, the whales, the corals, the sea fans, the snails and the crabs. And we can talk about even very small-scale biodiversity. We talk a lot now about, say, the, the microbial diversity in your gut, or we all worry about viral diversity now and where that lives and how it interacts. So everything alive from big to small, at and whatever wh scale you want to talk about. And when we talk about biodiversity loss, do, do we mean the extinction of sp species? Is that what constitutes a, a loss? That's one form of loss, absolutely. I think that's the, the easiest thing to think about is a whole species going extinct, like the, um, the Caribbean monk seal or the dodo or the passenger pigeon. We, we completely drove those species extinct. And extinction still happens every day, dozens of species each day. But more often, the bigger impact is the loss of numbers and populations and habitats. So losing whole stretches of coral reef, whole swaths of forest, or 
or affecting those systems so badly that they stop doing their jobs. And Marcus, you're an investment man. Your, your job is money and and and, and creating and and, ga- and gaining wealth for people. Why should you be concerned about this sort of thing? Yeah. So when we when we think about the importance of of nature or biodiversity for economy, then I think we are getting really a good idea why it's important and why we also have to um, take this into account. So first of all. Um, the the I would like to call it ge- generative return of nature and biodiversity is roughly 1.5 times of the conventional measured global GDP. So this is this is a economic value which is produced automatically. And I'm as an economist, I'm wondering why should we destroy such value? Secondly, um, we know that 40% of the world's economy is dependent directly on biological diversity. And my worry as an economist is on the one side, if we destroy those natural resources, means we destroy degenerative, uh, regenerative returns. And this will have, of course, an impact on how we live and how we act and how we invest. Um, because it takes away the fundament we've built our economy and our society on. And this is really something why I'm so interested in this topic. And this, of course, is also buttressed by the entire discussion around sustainability. Christina, do you recognize what Marcus is saying about the the economic damage? And are are there sort of examples in your world, in the world of coral, where where you can see the sort of domino effect? Yes, we we absolutely see the economic value in my in my profession, in my world, studying coral reefs, and also the consequence of losing coral reef biodiversity. Overall, coral reefs are valued at something like $1 trillion per year in the, the services that they provide to human economies. Where do you get a trillion dollars from, right? Well, yeah. part of it is the food that they produce, just, just plain food. Part of it is the tourism economies that they support and the jobs that they create, especially in the tropics where most economies are not very diversified. And then you have slightly more long-term values, so, such as uh, discovering diseases, and the fact that coral reefs build walls that protect shorelines from storm surge and waves. So add all those up and you get something like a trillion US dollars per year in value. But that's happy coral reefs that work well with clear water and lots of fish and lots of corals. Imagine a coral reef near a big city you've got sewage flowing in, you've got fertilizer running off the ground, uh, maybe golf courses or landscaping. You've taken a lot of fish out to eat. The water's green, it's murky. That's the perfect place for antibiotic resistant bacteria to grow, MRSA, all sorts of nasty flesh-eating bacteria. So even at a small scale, when we start messing up these systems, we start exposing ourselves to a really scary uh, sort of a disease-infested world. Yeah. And and if I may add on, so if we think about economic terms, um, currently um, the, the, the oceans, so the oceans economy is the world's eighth largest economy. But how, how then do we tackle that? You know, how, you know it's, it's a slow-moving thing and you know, it's hard to, you know, it's not as dramatic as a huge block of ice falling off a glacier in 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 our in, in our antarctica or somewhere it you know how 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 do we go about changing this yes we need data we need data for making our investment decision and and as i already have said um so we are maybe in a time where we are blessed because technology allows us to to use data but for 
for getting access to those data, we need people like Kristen in, in Curaçao who are working on, on, on those topics, right? Who deliver those data, maybe via artificial intelligence or so on, because one thing is clear beside all the other stuff we talked about. We are moving into the direction of a techonomy, so a technological supported economy. And I think this, this might be an advantage also for this topic. Kristen, what do you think? Absolutely. There are so many cool ways that AI and uh, machine learning are starting to help secure biodiversity and preserve resources. A friend of mine named Tanya Beherwolf has designed a machine learning system that recognizes individual giraffes and whales and whale sharks, and that helps detect individuals, do population assessments, enforce wildlife preserve boundaries, and really helps everyone get a better sense on what the populations are doing, whether animals are getting poached, how to protect them better. Really cool things like that coming online. To give you another example, we're using things like hyperspectral imaging to now detect whether fish are really the species that they're supposed to be when they go through the, the food packaging, food processing system. So there are all sorts of really cool ways that we're, we're sort of securing biodiversity where it lives and then being careful in how we use biodiversity to feed people and take care of people. And for investors, it's absolutely important to see their impact on their investments of, of, of nature and of climate, everything, because we are, we are putting kind of traffic light systems on the fridge. Why don't we put traffic light systems also on portfolios? And, and, and this is absolutely right now the discussion about um, ESG and sustainability. And I think biodiversity is one important factor. And we now have the tools and the ability to make it more transparent and to show the impact. I think you are both hitting on something that has been a fundamental struggle in conservation for a long time, which is that we know what to do, we know the right thing to do, but how do we enforce it? And how do we, how do we hold people accountable for their actions? And a really good example is what's happening in um, fisheries enforcement and fisheries management right now. It used to be that if you established a marine protected area around all your fish, it kind of didn't matter because it was too big to enforce and illegal fleets could come in and take, take whatever they want and kind of slip away, land it at a port that didn't care so much. But now a bunch of really interesting monitoring and enforcement tools are clicking in along with policy, as, Mark, as Marcus mentioned. So now you'll have fisheries that will only allow a catch to be landed if the ship vessel shows, if the fishing vessel shows it was only within legal grounds the entire time it was fishing. And uh, after that, you'll have a chain of custody that, that shows the movement of those fish through the whole supply and processing chain. So now all of a sudden, as an investor, you can start looking for, for firms that are upholding those best practices and now they don't have as many excuses about how it's too difficult or too expensive because it's being the it's becoming the default and then maybe if if i may add on so if we if we know um those those data we also can calculate the, the positive impact as well as calculate the negative impact and i don't want to have the companies in my portfolio who are very likely facing a negative impact of this development right because right, um, this is not this is not sustainable in, in in financial terms now but also not sustainable in in sustainability terms Right, exactly. We know that fish stocks act just like investment portfolios, and if you are careful about only, only removing a little bit of the interest but not touching your principal too much, then you're going to continue to be able to live off that yeah. stock. The same thing is true with fish, and now you can hold firms more accountable to whether they're, whether they're going way too far into the principal to be sustainable long term. Let me sort of 
tighten the focus a little bit and narrow this down a little bit to the area of investing and in, and investing people's money because you know uh, that's sort of what we're here for in a, in a way um Marcus how do we get you and other investors like you to work together to to you know invest for good rather than bad yeah so i think first of all we need a harmonized understanding of it right if we don't have a harmonized understanding of of where we want to head to it will be very difficult i think um multilateralism between countries companies individuals what have you is is really the prerequisite for such a development secondly we need education 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 from the beginning from the schools but also to professionals so we as a bank have to educate our our employees our employees of 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 what they are doing and what they are investing in and what does it mean for them and then we need transparency and what we are currently doing is we are working with with a global rating agency together um, in this context of sustainability to rate our portfolios to rate the single investment vehicles we do invest in and we are using this dimension so the ESG dimension as an additional dimension for making a qualitative assessment of the investment decision we would like to do the expectations are changing very rapidly and especially yeah. with millennials and generation z becoming very environmentally minded uh, investment firms have to watch out because all of a sudden they're going to be asked a lot of really tough questions that maybe they weren't expecting from their clients in the past, but are going to be the first question out of the mouth but when uh, when those when that generation starts starts yeah. asking hard questions. At the risk of playing devil's advocate, that, what what you're both talking <laughs> Don't about? Don't do this. <laughs> at the, at the, Marcus has sort of come at it from the this is the way investors need to think. Is there a, and this is perhaps a bit tough, but is there a responsibility from your side of the of the coin, if you like, to highlight the real dangers, the economic dangers of biodiversity loss? Yeah, absolutely. We, um, as conservationists and biologists, I think made a mistake and cost us a lot of time by expecting people to just innately understand how passionate we are about nature and how much we care about it for its for its existence. And finally, finally we realized, well, if we're speaking truth to power, we need to speak in power's language, which is money and law and, and governance. Um, so now conservationists spend a lot more time talking about what is the economic value of that resource and what happens when you don't manage it properly. And on a wider a sort of perspective is is there a cliff edge uh, uh, at some point is there actually a real risk that we could do permanent damage to our economic system by by not taking care of this i think so we often talk uh, about ecological surprise as something that never shows up in your models or your expectations but it's things like uh, a virus emerging and causing a global pandemic. It's things like uh, a disease wiping out an entire fishery. It's things like a drought killing an entire crop for an entire region. And these are the so-called asymmetric shocks I referred earlier to, right? So yes. it doesn't mean necessarily that we will all disappear from this planet, but we, we have really huge adaptation costs to adapt then to, new, to the new normal. My humble thinking is um, protection and conservation will be one important part. And this 
is maybe one of the tools we have to use in future to protect. But is biodiversity also powerful enough to regenerate by itself? That's one of the things that gives me the most hope is that nature invented diversification and she invented sustainability. And so mother nature is really, really good at rebounding from a loss for rebuilding. You know, every species on the planet has this chemical and physical and biological drive to make copies of itself and make more of itself. So it's a, a perfect place to look for optimism and hope and growth because if you take the pressures off, if you take the stresses off, give, create the right conditions, Mother Nature is going to do most of the work for you. It's free fish, it's free trees. You don't get that in many other areas of, of commerce or industry. I'm conscious that uh, at least a chunk of our audience uh, are going to be individuals who have the power of wealth. Do do you have a sort of not a message, but do you have a sort? Of, do you think people have to be have a have to have a different way of thinking about their long term prosperity and the long term protection and, and 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 growth in their wealth? Yeah, and maybe maybe it's not really different. I would rather call it enhanced um, because. I think the questions we have to ask are the same question as we as we have asked um, 10 years ago or 20 years ago, um, what I already have said. It's just an additional dimension, maybe a different set of questions we now have to ask, but we have to be critical about the risk. And this is something what we always evaluate when we make investments. We always ask, okay, what is a risk? And we know that that this is one important driver of our investment decision. And this is something what we now also have to do in the context of biodiversity and of sustainability, and we see this in regards to climate. And I think if we, this is one part. And on the other side, we, we of course, always asking ourselves, oh, what is the next innovation driver? What are innovative ideas, innovative solutions? Can I participate? Hey, here we go. We have the same opportunities in these areas, in, in this context. So avoid the risk and use the, the, the innovative areas to try to capture the positive side of change. And I think now the anticipation of the risk of biodiversity loss, the, the anticipation of climate change, this will lead to a change in our behavior and also in investment behavior. And this is really good. So I'm quite optimistic, but, but we should not stop to manage this change in the positive way. This is really my, my ask. And I think we can get there together, no problem. But it affords a little bit of effort. Well, I think that's a that. yeah, that's a great sort of a, a, a great conclusion, which sort of uh, gives us a little bit of optimism uh, uh, to to take away with us from here. And that's it for this first podcast from the Chief Investment Office of Deutsche Bank's International Private Bank. Marcus, Kristen, thank you both so much uh, for your time, and thank you for your wisdom as well. It's been a a fascinating conversation, I think. And if all that's done is whet your appetite for more information and ideas and thoughts, you can. And find plenty if you go to deutscherwealth.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast may be considered marketing material. The value of an investment can fall as well as rise, and you might not get back the amount you originally invested. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Deutsche Bank. The services described in this podcast are provided by Deutsche Bank AG or by its subsidiaries and or affiliates in accordance with appropriate local legislation and regulation.
Deutsche Bank AG is subject to comprehensive supervision by the European Central Bank, ECB, by Germany's Federal Financial Supervisory Authority, BaFin, and by Germany's Central Bank, Deutsche Bundesbank. Brokerage services in the United States are offered through Deutsche Bank Securities Incorporated, a broker-dealer and registered investment advisor which conducts investment banking and securities activities in the United States. Deutsche Bank Securities Incorporated is a member of FINRA, NYSE and SIPC. Lending and banking services in the United States are offered through Deutsche Bank Trust Company Americas, member FDIC and other members of the Deutsche Bank Group. The product, services, information and or materials referred to within this podcast may not be available for residents of certain jurisdictions. Copyright 2020, Deutsche Bank AG and or its subsidiaries. All rights reserved. This podcast may not be used, reproduced, copied or modified without the written consent of Deutsche Bank AG.